Welcome to Logos. In this episode, I want to present my conversation with Brett Lloyd. His transformation from a life of suffering to finding what may be perceived as a way above average existence is quite mind-boggling and motivating for personal change. I hope you may take away useful and applicable information from listening to this. And if you're interested in finding more about Brett, visit the links in the description. Nice to meet you. Appreciate this opportunity to share my experience. I really appreciate the, the ability to kind of get into others' perceptions and learn from them. Wonderful. Well, I, I appreciate, again, this chance to share with you what I've gone through and in the hopes that other people are going to benefit from the hearing. Absolutely. That's what I aim for, too. So awesome. I, yeah, just want to seek out a, a fluid, normal conversation. And um, especially what interests me is like how you've been able to, yeah, just escape the uh, harsh difficulties life just um, throws upon many of us. Well, the way, you know, I, I, it's a long story. I'll try to uh, be concise. I, uh, I grew up in what would be considered a classic standard American diet environment. My mom and dad had an enormous vegetable garden. We had fresh vegetables year-round, either picked that day or canned. Tons of meat. I was an athlete in school of moderate ability, but I was serious about it. And, uh, you know, I was, I was in, you know, I was dedicated to, to, to becoming strong and, and to being the best athlete I could. And uh, in many ways, I succeeded, but then my skills limited my progression into college sports. It's okay. That's life. But starting around the age of 15, I started having serious mood problems. Nothing I reported to anybody because in the era I grew up in, if you were an athlete, you didn't complain about such things if you wanted to continue performing. And uh, I grew up in the era of, oh, so your mood's bad. Rub some dirt on your, uh, on your hands. Walk it off. You're going to be all right. That was kind of the attitude. But uh, I, was, I was very disagreeable. So much so that I was, when senior superlatives came around, it's something that high school seniors do here in America. Uh, everybody picks who's, you know, going to be the most successful, the, who's the best brainiac. And I was voted class grouch um, because I was beginning to suffer mental illness symptoms, depression primarily. And uh, depression for me, I, 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 it manifested itself in anger in addition to incredible immense sadness. 
And uh, I was never diagnosed, though, until I turned 30. So I lived a very disordered, discombobulated, self-destructive life. Uh, I sabotaged a very promising mental health career <laughs> working as a counselor uh, because of it. And it was interesting. Here I was around all these mental health professionals and nobody could diagnose me. Nobody could recognize the symptoms. Um, but in, in 1990, I was diagnosed with major depression at River Park Psychiatric Hospital. My life had become unmanageable due to mental illness. And I got some understanding of what was going on with me. And they gave me a, uh, some samples of Prozac and sent me out the door after 16 days. Wow. Um, so it wasn't much. It was therapeutic in that it stopped the free fall. And I was able to recognize I needed to make some changes in my life. But all the while, the real reason for my mental illness was because of my crappy diet. And, you know, through college, college was the beer and pizza years. And then after college was the beer and pizza years. <laughs> so uh, and I was a fast food fiend. Uh, I, the minute the hours I worked a lot of hours in certain jobs that I had related to mental health. And uh, I just ate garbage. So it's not surprising that my my mood, my illness just got exponentially worse as time went on uh fast forward through just for time sake uh meds psych meds they put me on prozac it was more like throwing a blanket over a sore spot it didn't really fix anything things were a little bit better for a time but then my mood would inexplicably crash for no reason. There wasn't a precipitating event. There wasn't, you know, a breakup or loss of a job or loss of a loved one. Nothing like that. I just, my mood would just go in the, in, in the crapper and I would become even more difficult to be around. Um, in 2006, I had, uh, or 2006, 2007, I had a uh, textbook nervous breakdown. And I didn't sleep for more than two hours a night for about six to eight weeks. And when you don't sleep more than that, very bad things start to happen to you. Uh, my diagnosis was changed from major depression to major depression with psychotic features. Because when you hear kids playing in the yard and you're the only one home, that's not a good thing. So I was just getting worse. and. Uh, they put me on some medication, one called Brimeron, which was interesting because I slept for two weeks. It was great. I got plenty of rest, but I gained like 25 pounds in that two-week period of time. That medication is a notorious weight gain. But then after that two-week period of time, I went on another six-week tear of only sleeping two hours a night. So this is when the, the mid medicine merry-go-round really took off because the doctors, the doctor was literally throwing anything he could at me to see what would stop my mood from getting worse. And uh, he found this medication 
called Symbiax, which is a combination of Prozac and an antipsychotic. And that did stop my mood from getting worse. But there was some side effects with it. One is I would sleep 10 to 12 hours a night and have to take one or two two-hour naps during the day. It was very sedating. Um, after I sabotaged my uh, mental health career, I became a full-time musician, performing in bars and clubs all over the southeastern United States. Um, but my illness got to the point to where nobody wanted to work with me, even though I was a very proficient and competent performer and entertainer, um, because I was just too difficult to get along with. And all the while, I'm so hard to get along with, I'm oblivious to that. I think everything's okay. I think all of this is just normal well, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, of course, if you don't know anything else, then that's your normal. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, at the end of 2008, 2000, yeah, it was 2009, actually. No, excuse me, 2008, December, I, I, I felt horrible. I, I was basically alone. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't touch my instrument. I couldn't do anything except just kind of sit in one place and listen to time pass by play video games a little bit. But see, I couldn't even do that and enjoy it because I couldn't process my environment accurately between my illness and the meds. It was just a horror show. And I'm like, I can't keep living like this. I've got to change how I'm thinking about things. I, and I literally convinced myself I was going to get better because I decided I was going to, you know, mind over matter. <laughs> Well, around that time, I mentioned to my wife that I was really frustrated that I gained all this weight because I'm only six, six, uh, six foot tall. That time I was six one. But I weighed over 260 pounds by then. And uh, my wife said, well, I've tried this Atkins diet. out. I've heard a lot of good things about it. look into it and see what you think. And I just being the crazy person I was, I didn't investigate fully. I just. Okay, don't eat starches and don't eat bread, but you can have all the fish and fruits. Okay, and occasional I okay, that's fine. I can do that. So I imperfectly followed that way of eating, and I lost thirty-five pounds, and my mood got better. But at no time did my doctor, myself, or my wife think my mood getting better was because of the diet change. It was because I had changed my thinking on a few things. And I was able to go to, I had my 30 year high school class reunion that year. I was able, I, I wrote a couple of faith-based albums and was performing in churches and speaking and things were going very well. I still wasn't right, but I was more socially acceptable. Then I'm in May, May or June, May, I believe it was, of 2010. I'm like, I really missed ice cream. Sebastian, I really missed ice cream. I really missed ice cream, and I really missed coconut cake and coconut cream pies. Those were my favorites. And I thought, well, I'm going to eat that again. And if I gain weight back, I'll just go back on egg. 
Well, that was a really bad idea because in the middle of July, just a couple months after that, I'm at church, I'm at mass on a Sunday evening. It's very important to me. And in the middle of that service, that, that mass, I was overcome with this red alert, prescient warning, internal warning that said, if you don't get out of here and go home right now, something really bad is going to happen. And it was so visceral, I literally ran out of the church. Very atypical for me. Fifteen minutes later, I'm at home, curled up on my couch, bawling my eyes out and have no idea why. Now I know it's because I started eating enough garbage again to, to, to re, reignite my, my descent into darkness, as it were. And from then until, 20, until uh, February of 2015 was an absolute horror show. The medicine merry-go-round never ended. Uh, the same thing would happen. They put me on the medication, say Seroquel, for instance, and I would feel a little better for a while. Matter of fact, I thought for Seroquel, I, I, I might be that might be the drug, because I actually wrote a couple of a couple of albums while I was taking that medication, uh, more rock and roll, Pink Floyd type kind of music, and um, I thought okay, but I just kept getting worse. January of 2015, I weigh 289 pounds. I'm on seven different meds, psych meds, uh, for depression, anxiety, and insomnia. My psychiatrist is telling me I should seriously consider electroshock therapy and or a long-term hospitalization. Now, I had seen ECT patients before. 30 minutes after they had the, the, the uh, I don't want to call it therapy. I don't even want to call it treatment. Before they had a lot of voltage run through their brains. Oh, God. And they just, it, it, I, I, I decided right then I would never, ever let them do that to me. Never, because I never wanted to look like they felt. In a long-term hospitalization, my fear was I might go in and never be allowed out. During this time, I'm, I, I, I've written some blues music that I cannot sing. I've got a limited vocal range. And so I put a Craigslist ad out for a vocalist. And this lady applied and sent me a video link. And I knew 10 seconds into hearing the YouTube video, she was she was the answer. She she was the one I was looking for. So we were periodically. I was still able to write and I was able to record. And she was able to tolerate my craziness. But she's watching me fall apart. And she recommends what she asked me one day. She says, "Have you ever thought about medical marijuana?" Now, as a musician, it had always been around. But I had a bad experience with it when I was a little bit older, not much older than you are. And so I never touched it. It was never my thing. You know, I'd be at gigs and band rehearsals, whatever. It would come around and I would just pass it on. Wasn't for me. Plus, beer was legal. What do I need that for? 
but I knew about uh, Colorado and Washington State and their medical marijuana programs. And I did a little research and saw some anecdotal evidence that people were experiencing some symptom relief. And my wife and I talk about it. We're like, well, at this point, what do we have to lose? Because I was compliant. I took my meds Mm -hmm. as prescribed. I kept my doctor's appointments. I did everything I was asked to do. And I just got worse. Long story short, I discovered medical marijuana treated my symptoms. Thousand of times better than any of the medications I ever took. My mood leveled out. The anxiety would vanish. I could sleep at night. Now, I wasn't healed. This was like taking medicine. You know, if I wasn't on a regular regimen with it, then after about three or four days, I, I would start to become very socially unacceptable and difficult to be around again. Um, then this same lady in May of 2018, well, let me back it up a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. So in January, February, I start the, the medical marijuana. I'm 10 days into it. I'm putting my shoes on Sebastian and I realize my belly's in the way. And I'm like, that's very bad. Now, one thing about my mental illness I need to mention before I go further is I got so sick, I couldn't accurately perceive my environment. My wife would look at me and say, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. With that big smile on her face and that happy tone of voice. But my illness would twist that and filter it to where what I genuinely heard would be along the lines of, Yeah, it looks like it's going to be another beautiful day. Sure. Now, I adore my wife. I would hear that. And as a concerned husband, I would be, what's wrong, honey? I don't understand. What's wrong? And she would look at me like I was crazy, which I was. And she would repeat it. I still wouldn't hear it accurately. So there was this constant, Tension, as you might imagine. She loved me. She very much wanted to understand what I was saying to her, but I couldn't make her hear me. I couldn't articulate things because what she was responding to me with, I wasn't processing accurately. That was the horror show of my life at that point. But medical marijuana made that go away. So now, May of 2018, that same lady messages me one day, Sebastian, saying, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you've got to go watch every video by this guy named Dr. Jordan Peterson, who I had I'd heard his name mentioned. I knew he was an author, but I didn't know anything about him. So I get on YouTube and I put his name in and immediately I get the Jordan Peterson destroys collection of videos where he literally decimates media people with common sense and logic. 
he rendered one poor lady in the UK unable to speak on air. It, it's a beautiful video. If you haven't seen it, mm -hmm. I highly recommend you look it up. But he described in a way that this crazy guitar player could understand how his daughter, through trial and error, had lost her severe depression and arthritis symptoms by only eating beef, salt, and wine. Now, Sebastian, if this is anybody else but Jordan Peterson telling me this on a Joe Rogan episode, I'm changing the channel because that's crazy. Nobody does. Yeah. If that was possible, some doctor would have suggested a dietary intervention. Nobody ever suggested my diet was related to my illness. But it's Dr. Jordan Peterson, the man who professes the need to always be honest or to at least not lie, and who promotes per personal responsibility in a way I really love. So I paid attention, and I had my wife watch it with me to make sure I wasn't mishearing what he was telling me. Oh, he's really saying that. So I began investigating this carnivore diet thing. And I immediately found Dr. Sean Baker's episode on Joe Rogan. And again, here you have this incredible man of integrity, Air Force combat trauma surgeon. They just don't let anybody do that. You've got to be an extraordinarily well put together person to even be considered. So I watched the dietary portion of that probably 50 times because now I'm thinking, there's got to be a flaw in the logic because this is just too good to be true. And then I found Amber O'Hearn giving a talk at Keto Fest in 2017, where she described in a way that this guitar player, remember, I was not a nutrition. I didn't know anything, you know, eat, eat your meat, eat your, you know, a balanced meal and you'll live longer. Okay. That was what I had been taught. That was all I knew. But she described in a way I could understand how as a species, we literally came down out of the trees and grew these big energy demanding brains, our skeletal structure from just eating meat. And I had enough pieces of the puzzle together. I'm like, I have to try this. So July 16th, Sebastian of 2018, I began only eating animal protein and fat. And I have continued that for now 1,069 days as of today. And I have not missed a single day. And I have had exactly zero cheat days, zero cheat moments. Ten days into it, I woke up without joint pain for the first time as an adult. Now, I'd never been to, you know, diagnosed as arthritic, but I'd fallen down and gone boom a few times over the years, broke a few bones. I was ambulatory, but I had what I thought were normal everyday aches and pains, courtesy of living 57 years. I didn't anticipate this, but when you wake up without joint pain, it's like I felt like I was nine years old again. I was taking early morning walks at that time. I still do. But I'm skipping down the sidewalk because I can. It feels good and it doesn't hurt. 
And then on the 24th day, bear with me here, Sebastian. I, I can't tell this to not get emotional. I'm taking my walk. And one of the things I'd been really careful of is I didn't want to talk myself into thinking I was better before I was. Because that would lead to disaster down the road. Mm-hmm. But I'm walking along, and it's like somebody flipped a switch. And suddenly, all that rage and all that anger, all that extreme dissatisfaction with life, and that sadness, and all the crap that kept me from being the person I wanted and so desperately needed to be, it all just went away. And it was replaced by a waterfall of happiness and joy that has not left me since. Not for a moment has it left me. And that's why I tell these, do these interviews and share these stories because people need to know, Sebastian, you need to know. We're not, you're not a genetic defect if you suffer from mental illness. Your mom and dad didn't make a mistake. You were just taught to eat inflammatory nonsense under the false notion that it's healthy. And if you stop doing that and only consume nutrition that your body can absorb, meat, for instance, then your body can heal from almost anything. And I'm living proof that it works. And it became a vocation that I share my experience because I'll tell you this, I haven't said this publicly in an interview yet, but I recently got an audio message from somebody, and they're very young, not very much older than you. Thanking me because they heard one of my talks and they didn't want to kill themselves anymore. Wow. And they're 20 days carnivore. And they don't have any suicidal ideation at all. Then. And they're so thankful and they're so happy. So that's why I do these. It doesn't matter if you've got a massive audience, if you've got an audience of five, I don't care. Because somebody needs to hear it. And when everybody on planet Earth has heard this and I and knows about it, then I can just go back to being a musician. So that's how I got to the place to where I experience genuinely, every day, effortless, daily happiness. Because I don't deviate from what works with how I eat and what I eat. Because my sanity is my most prized possession. And there's no taste, no texture, no social setting worth me putting my sanity at risk. 
I hope that answers your question. Pretty well. Wow. Um, I'm sure you've got more to ask. Feel free. So first of all, um, it's 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 amazing to to hear such a a lifetime story cried, and well, uh, I guess one can just congratulate that you you managed to achieve this, and this as well, I believe, shows how incredibly powerful the the kind of um, social support we can give each other is like Jordan Peterson being able to achieve that you are inspired to change your life in a way that you you wouldn't have even could imagine before and then you passing this on just not not for your personal incentives but merely because you're grateful for receiving this and wow that's it's quite a lot um it's a beautiful thing to be a part of I, I tell people all the time I'm fi I, fi I survived the horror show so that I could get to the happy part of the story. Yeah, uh, it, one one thing one thing that I find particularly interesting um, when you talk about music and being a musician, um, there's a this this heavy aspect that that music has kind of is inspiring on us and. I'm really looking forward. I'm going to have soon uh, Akira the Dawn, a British um, musician on my podcast, to talk about this because this deep sense of, yeah, just meaningful fulfillment can stem from this. And how would you say has this impacted your life based on the experience you just shared? Oh my gosh, it's transformed almost every aspect of it. Uh, from the music perspective, when I started, you know, I, I performed playing in public, playing primarily cover tunes. Uh, but I also wrote, started writing in, in 1988. <laughs> that's, how, that's how old I am. Um, matter of fact, I... Uh, I don't want to go, that could lead to a tangent. I was, uh, my songwriting songs that I've written in, in back then, I, I had some, uh, somebody who could actually sing one of the songs better, better than me. So we re-recorded re one of those. Those were viable songs then and, and they're holding up well over time. But my point is, I started out writing just basic rock and roll. You know, let's let's party, let's go grab a girl, let's go dance, let's have a good time, let's go cruising, that kind of stuff. But as my illness progressed, things got darker and darker. <laughs> and then they got really dirgy. Um, I wrote a lot of sad, sad songs. And people, oh Ben, it's awful that you've been you've been depressed, you're depressed, but I've heard that that 
sparks creativity. One of the other things I like telling everybody is that's a bunch of crap. Depression didn't make me better at anything. It didn't make me a better songwriter. It didn't make me a better guitar player. It didn't make me better at anything except being a bad person. Today, I write, I still got the Floydish influences and things like that, but it's all hopeful, mostly. I still write primarily in a minor key because minor keys evoke powerful emotions. But I always try to keep a major happy, you know, have the chorus be uplifting in some manner. Or, or the, the, the angelic section, if you will, of a song, uh, something that's upbeat musically, that moves the heart, moves the mind in a more positive direction. That's what I do now. And in fact, I am releasing an album October 1st called Carnivore Train. Uh, it's not all about me, but it stands to reason because after my depression symptoms went vanished that morning, my muse at the time went with it. And for two years, I didn't touch an instrument. Or if I did, I pick up a guitar and I'm like, why do I even still have this? Because there was no there there anymore. But then last year, early last year, I grew a new muse. And writing songs as the same person is a whole different experience. Rec the art of recording and mixing and mastering as the same person is an awesome experience. It used to be insanely frustrating. Because I would look at the screen, I could read the directions on how to do certain things in mixing with use of compressors and EQ and all this kind of hardware stuff that I was using uh, software models. But it, I could never make it sound like it should. Now I can. Because there's nothing filtering things against me anymore. And I, I love every chance I can to pick up a guitar. I love writing. I love recording. And if it wasn't for the fact that I hate going into bars so much, I would start performing live again. But I just, the notion of being in a dirty bar till three or four in the morning now is very unappealing. <laughs> so I'll just be satisfied with writing and recording at home, and hopefully people will uh, enjoy this release enough that, uh, geez, I might actually break even for a change. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, I, I as well believe that's a, a better setting. And a, from my perspective, um, the kind of darkness that comes with something like depression and hardship, of course, uh, as an aspect of creativity, is very different to what the normal sane person experiences. And 
from from my view, uh, especially in the younger audience. So among my peers, there's a lot of attraction in this kind of gothic and deep music um, that, and I've experienced this personally as well is kind of motivating because it's not, it's not the ideal that you manifest uh, with the music, but rather the, the hell that you're trying to escape. And I, I think for outsiders, then you get an insight in, well, what you don't want to experience. But yeah, I, I think um, from, from the musician's perspective, this isn't as pleasant at all. But it still, of course, has some value giving the insight. Although I think um, building this kind of heaven and sharing it is way more powerful. Because, well, when you're running away from something, you don't know where to go. And when you are running away from everything, you have nothing to do. And then a certain nihilism manifests itself. So, um, yeah, I, I really hope this is successful and can, as your talks, um, as you just told, already do uh, affect people positively in a major manner. From well, thank you, Sebastian. I appreciate that. I hope the same thing as well. One thing I wanted to share with you from the music aspect of things, when I was crazy, I didn't realize this at the time. I've kind of looked back and learned a lot of things because I'm able to look with clear, objective eyes instead of through the filters and all the nonsense. And I loved playing guitar solos. I wanted to be, I didn't just want to be a guitar player. I wanted to be the lead guitar player. And so I worked really hard at that and became very proficient at it. And performing live and playing guitar solos, that was pure pleasure that took me away from the misery. And I never wanted the solo to end, but like all songs, that solo comes to an end. And then the song comes to an end. And then you're right back where you started. So you're right. It's not a good place to be by any means. I had just found a manner of surviving. That's what really was going on. That was yeah. instead, of, instead of a hard drug, it was performing that, lead, that, that solo that kept me going at least to the next song, to the next gig, until people found me too hard to get along with. Well, and and then I, I, from the story you told, I would think that your family and your, especially your wife then uh, as well kind of held you on because when experiencing this, uh, I would think, uh, yeah, as you just said, you need something well, if it's not to thrive, it's just to get along because when there's no reason to even do anything, um, you kind of start getting dangerous to yourself. And um, so what you, would you say held you kind of in, in this world else? 
Yeah, it, it's I, I liken it to treading water or walking in a circle that's always getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but it never ends. Um, I describe being depressed as imagine Sebastian, if you can, there's you've got a fifty pound anvil on your head. It never comes off. You can't take it off. When you lay down to go to sleep at night, you go to bed with it, and you know it's going to be there in the morning when you wake up. And it makes everything you do harder. Everything is so much harder than it ever had to be. That's what depression was like. And to be free of that, to be out from underneath that, that anvil and to know that it's never going to come back. It provides a sense of peace and contentment that I recommend to everybody who draws breath. It's really special. And that's the wonderful thing about this way of eating. People are like, I wish I had your discipline. I wish I was as dedicated as you. I'm like, Listen, I'm a guitar player. What you've heard about musicians is true, except for music. We're really kind of lazy people. We really only want to do music because you can work really hard for two or three hours a day and you're done. You don't have to work at 12, 14 hours like a lot of people do. I just didn't want to be crazy more than I wanted anything else. And I think that's part of what people need to understand. This doesn't require a vast reservoir of willpower or self-discipline. You've just got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And if you truly are and you're honest with yourself, this way of eating is easy. People are like, well, that's so restrictive. I'm like, you want to know what's restrictive? Try depression. Try anxiety. (laughs) How about you only sleep for two hours for just five days and get back to me about what's restrictive? Yeah. This is the most liberating time of my life and living 60 years. Three years next month is my three-year carniversary. (laughs) In August 9th, it'll be three years since my depression left. It's been beyond beautiful it's just been a constant day of blessing after blessing after blessing and people need to know sebastian it's available it's there all you've got to do is eat meat and drink water and follow the directions and be willing to endure the transition period when you go from being a sugar burner to a fat burner because that can be uncomfortable I had loose stool for the first five months of carnivore, but I lost my depression symptoms on the 24th day, Sebastian. I didn't care if I had it for the rest of my life. If it came back tomorrow, the loose stool, I wouldn't care. So what? I'm not crazy anymore. I'm happy. I'm thriving. And with regards to my wife, she watched me heal. 
she went low carb my first 30 days carnival. I think she did, waited to see if I would live if I survived the first 30 days or not. <laughs> but she she's a couple years older than me, but she always looked 10 years younger. For real. Well, suddenly she didn't look 10 years younger than me anymore. And she wasn't the skinniest person in the house anymore. And she had osteoarthritis in her shoulders and her hands really bad. So a month after I started carnivore, she got on. And in a month, she eliminated the osteoarthritis from her shoulders. And it's almost completely gone from her hands. And once she retires from her job, she's a screen printer, that things with her hands is a lot of repetitive motion stuff. So once she retires from that, that'll go away entirely. And what it's done for our marriage is almost beyond words because it's like we're living a fairy tale now because we don't waste time on nothing burgers anymore. You know, there's no stupid arguing over just so we can argue. Life is just a joy. Now, crap still happens. Cars still break down. Tires go flat. House needs repairs. Doesn't make us bulletproof, but it makes navigating the day-to-day aggravations that life can throw at you so much easier. And they're not nearly as aggravating. I hope I'm making sense and not just rambling on needlessly here. <laughs> no, that's... Um, I. I, I... It's it's quite coherent, I would say, and you you mentioned a lot how, especially when when it comes to motivation, which obviously is the the basis of changing or doing anything, that there is an incentive to in in regards to that, even if perf such heavy pathology isn't on you right now there first of all might be a lot and you don't notice as you thought that uh, it's just normal or and this is even more worrisome that in the future with pretty much a hundred percent accuracy it will come upon you if you're not willing to watch your health and engage in behavior that might seem Uh, restrictive or difficult right now to prevent uh, your future self from suffering more than you would have to. And this is what I've noticed personally as well, because initially, uh, well, first of all, I could eat anything and I don't feel anything. I have a great insulin sensitivity, I would say, and in my age, I, I don't have any difficulties. So for me, it was quite difficult to just simply um, changing habits when, of course, everything around me screamed for me not to do so. But once you make such a transition, you can observe and definitely observe it because that's what is going to motivate further uh, adherence to something. and. Um, things get so much better so quickly that this is just obviously the the further yeah incentive to continue 
so so this is what I think really important point that this is not only for people who are sick, but as well for everyone. And unfortunately, more and more people get sick. So uh, yeah, I I really appreciate this this message, and it definitely has to get out there because it it seems like certain corporate incentives and um, mainstream directions are very all over the place in terms of recommendations and well even um, laws you as i was listening to you i agree with everything you said i'm extraordinarily impressed you are First off, I'm very jealous, and congratulations on starting the carnivore way of eating at age 16. I'm so jealous because you have a beautiful life ahead of you, and you won't make any of the dumb moves that I did because you're never going to be crazy because your brain's never going to be inflamed from what you put in your mouth as long as you only eat meat. Um. And the fact that you're able to articulate at your age, at the level that you are, I think speaks highly of you and also of the carnivore way of eating. Because you're right. I, I wasn't, there were things going on when I was sick that were always right here. I couldn't see them. I couldn't perceive them. I knew there was a problem, but I couldn't see what it was. Exactly. When my illness, my symptoms went away, well, all those things that were right there became painfully obvious. They needed to be removed and replaced by positives. You have you and the younger people who live this way will have advantages over your peers. There won't be anything in life you can't achieve if you're willing to work for it. And one thing you're already proving an ability to strategize far sooner than your peers will. Well, and that's very impressive. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and this this podcast, and I, I hope to expand it to a broader project is meant to bring this together because even though the dietary side and other aspects of um, health are, I believe, the core of our issues right now, there's much more going on that seems to need um, to be fixed. Not, not to say, and that's where I really like um, your your name of a uh, thankful carnivore, which uh, which initially was very the the thing that uh, got me curious, because there's there's a certain uh, inherent greatness to to grateful gratefulness that um, I believe just just say something about a person of uh, yeah not being bitter about their circumstances, even though, as you mentioned, 
always something can happen. Like I could be uh, motivated to become healthy as I can and still get one over tomorrow by a car. That is, there is no definite aspect to this. But I still believe that the the greatest happiness in life is to be found in a way of acting that coincides with the the conscious um, self that one lives. And what I think, this is my assumption, uh, kind of theoretical, maybe you can give me your idea on that, but being this way of uh, crazy, as you've told, which um, may be very accurate, how how have you um, perceived your yourself or um, well, I like to see the the mind and the consciousness kind of intertwined but still separate in the way that we, we have like this innate view of what we can do that is the best thing we can do. And then many other uh, just wishes we would like to fulfill, but of course, every of them, except the one that is the conscious, is, um, well, you could say it's a kind of addiction because it's not the highest aim. And now from your perspective of as far as you're able to trying to follow the conscious aim, um, how, how have you seen this uh, while you were sick? If you can uh, understand this. Yeah. I, I, under, I, understand, I understand the premise of your question and what you're, what you're seeking. Uh, very well stated, by the way. This way of eating it doesn't make us into supermen or women. All it does is it cleans out our bodies to the point to where our brains are operating optimally without interference. The rest of our body is as well. Part of what I wanted, it is my sincerest belief, and I've talked about this with, with other doctors and whatnot, and they agree. If a human being is properly nourished, properly hydrated, properly, um, see, food, sleep, gets a proper amount of rest, and is loved by somebody, the natural state of that human is one of happiness. That's why I, I have started here for about the last two or three months in all of my Instagram posts and whatnot to wherever appropriate to include the phrase effortless daily happiness because people need to know, number one, that's possible because we've been fed this line of nonsense all of our, I have all my life. Maybe you've heard it. I don't know. You know, you got to work it. If you want to be happy, you got to work at it. No, 
you have to feed yourself and provide yourself with an environment that mm. makes it possible. And yeah. then you just have to enjoy it and respect it for what it is and revel in it and share it because joy is infectious. It's contagious. You can't fake joy. You can fake happiness with a pretty smile, but joy is seen right here and you can't fake that. Yeah. It's, and especially something like laughter and just, Yeah, as you said, joy, it's, it's, it's so biologically based that there is no way of uh, not expressing it or expressing it if it's not there. And it's, that's, that's a factor that I find so amazing in, in all the differences in human of ideology and ideas there. Of course, we have the just simply how our metabolisms and brains and our bodies function, but as well these psychological metrics that are the same. And well, it's that of course this expands to ways of, for example, us communicating, even being able to talk, uh, which is completely amazing. And that's. It's, it, it, it totally makes sense that that would be our uh, our normal state because why would you be stressed out if there's no reason for it? From a biological perspective, you, of course, when you're running away from something, it's the proper attitude. Or if you have toxic materials inside your body because you fed them uh consciously or unconsciously then of course you have inflammation and you try to get rid of them but if this is not present then yeah what what else would be it's part of the the reason that that i do these talks is because western society has been so bamboozled with serious disinformation campaigns with regards to diet and you know it, it's it's like it's almost you almost you see advertisements today and it, in my head as i watch them it's just like people are saying one plus one it really equals three brett it doesn't really equal two it equals three because we said so and we're going to say so until you and your family And all your friends and everybody, your coworkers are as addicted to this garbage we're peddling to you and this horrible way of thinking until everybody's like that. And then we can all be miserable together. Well, but there's, there's one, <laughs> I think you have to be very precise there because uh, I would assume if somebody's listening to this, they might argue who does that. That's, that would be completely irrational <laughs> but um no I, i have to bring this up because that's what i thought a long time from this argument of moral relativism and this postmodernist um way of thinking yes but um this is is not because of um reason it is indeed irrational but that's because there is no 
um, fundamental value perceived by the kind of traitor of reason um, that rationality is good. It's merely the view that uh, words, as we utter them, are a way of manipulating. Uh, if if I want that you think certain ways of me, then I say certain things and you do the same. And that's like the battlefield. And if I am better at argumenting than you, then I win. No matter if I say one plus one is three and you say the logical answer because I merely win the argument. And uh, well, it's it's not done consciously, but in a kind of way, uh, when people think it's more important that they are right rather than that they are correct, uh, then it yeah just happens. And because yeah, the the normal state of mind would be that can't be. So that's why I had to add this. I'm glad you did. It's a great point, and you're right. It's uh, and kudos to you for that because. I know people with PhDs who can't figure that out. Uh, and it's just a basic commonsensical thing. And it's one of the things I love about this way of eating, because when your brain's operating optimally, these things are obvious. They're not hidden. They're not hidden in a way that if you are the least bit perceptive, you can't recognize it. Well, it's like it's yeah. like a door. It's like a window on the world has been opened, and you can see things as they really are. Now you know might need help figuring out what verbiage or 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 what how to how to articulate it, but it's there. Okay. And when well, your brain, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You wanted to tell me that, something. Go ahead. That's really interesting. I, I haven't even thought of this. So. You, if if I understand correctly, you're saying that if one is fully healthy from uh, yeah the view of being in a joyful state of mind, then they are naturally just good. And because well, of course I can't I can't apply the word good because we're human beings. Human beings are fallible. That that's what I what I uh, meant to um, add because it, it's that that's how it seems uh, as if you said that, and and I oh. think there's a certain credibility to this because you you kind of well if you feel good and there's another human being that's not feeling good, I I would assume that or from my perspective I would do everything in my mind that I can to at least help this one out because of the, well, very fundamentally, because then I have kind of, um, somebody has that uh, from me that I will be able to, like in a social contract, um, well, on a very biological level, of course, we see this much more advanced right now. That that would be good for me, but well, there, there has to be the argument made that even though you are in this way, you could still exploit people, especially because, as you just said, you could outwork your peers. So as well, you could exploit many of them. 
you could, I, wait, you know, then, then, then you're getting down, then you've got to go back to what's, what's your, what's your ethical foundation based upon, you know, then you get into the, to the discussion about faith and things along those lines. For me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really good at getting into that kind of a discussion, except to say, Being honest when you're sick and inflamed is almost impossible for many people. It really is. And it can be the root of what goes wrong in anybody's life is their inability to be honest with themselves. If you're not honest with yourself, you're not going to be honest with others. But this way of eating, for me, and based on what I've seen in other people I've talked to who've been carnivore much longer, doing bad things, things you know in advance you shouldn't be doing, are almost impossible because they are irrational. And when you're a rational person whose brain is firing on all cylinders, you can't ignore that. You, it's almost impossible unless you have a, a goal in mind that's nefarious. Well, that, that's very good stated. Um, from I, I believe there's there's still a a ceiling to this, so you can. I haven't found it yet. I haven't found it yet. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I hope we will never find it because then we can we can keep rising. But uh, well, we we aren't gods. That's that's our. That's true. That's the the difficulty. And um, I I would say, and this again, I, I really like the anthropological view, like just seeing how evolution has shaped us, and fear, uh, if rational, like fear, especially uh, of death. Um, I think can override this powerful positivity because when when your life is, is at stake, I believe it's very difficult to be rational. But in our modern situation, um, I I I really uh, agree with you on that. That you will uh, be way more um, functional in your way of thinking. Yeah. Very well said. Um, it's it's been a, a really interesting thing watching and dealing with people who are still inflamed. And I could see how somebody could manipulate a whole population rather easily if they mm -hmm. wanted to, if you were nefarious and you were malevolent. Uh, but I, I, it's much easier. It's like I tell my wife, I use my powers for good now. <laughs> I, 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 I just want everybody to feel like I do. And if you can feel better than me, that's great. Then you can teach me how you did it. I don't get into a lot of the deep philosophical side of things because I like to keep it simple for people who are sick 
because they can't process what you and I are talking about when we get into those issues because their brain just can't, they can't, can't make all the connections necessary to process it. So that's why I stay focused primarily in sharing my experience and everything that I talk about comes from my personal experience because if I start reading from a study, I'm going to sound like a guitar player reading from a study, something he doesn't really understand because I'm really still just a musician. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm not a scientific expert. I can't describe me physiological mechanisms and why all these things are working. I would love to know why I'm not crazy anymore. What physical physiological thing happened? What switch was flipped? What neural pathway was su suddenly present that wasn't before? I'd love to know that stuff. That would be really great to know. But not knowing it doesn't change the value of my happiness. Absolutely. And so it, I don't it, focus on that. I focus on sharing the experience. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say because it's sharing this experience is the would have even been the reason of educating yourself further because the, the sole goal of this to help. Uh, others achieve this state of happiness and you you have to prioritize how you can get there perfectly and especially if someone isn't able to merely grasp more complex ideas it's of course uh, the the most important aspect to achieve an emotional connection which you certainly do pretty pretty well um Thank and you. a yeah a simply how can i get from from hell to heaven and yeah i i it's it's uh it's always very um well as well inspiring to me this this kind of dedication too and i would say definitely that's too good I haven't seen a downside from it yet. I, I haven't experienced a downside from living this way, and I haven't observed a downside to it. And I think that's another reason why I, I genuinely believe that if we could just lower the, the Western society, if everybody's inflammation could just be lowered by 20 to 30 percent, so much of this bickering and arguing and everything that's going on and division or whatnot will just end. It would just end because people would wake up. Well, this is stupid. What are we wasting all this energy for? We're not fixing anything while we're threatening and screaming at each other. We're not progressing at all. This isn't progress. This isn't progressive. This is regressive. Yeah. And, and, and that's another reason, motivation for wanting to share it with as many people as possible, because I, I, I think people, I think our society would be better for it. Now, granted, this way of eating is not for everybody. Everybody's physiology is not going to respond to meat the way mine did. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm promoting this for everybody because I don't know everybody. 
I'm a guitar player. I'm not qualified to make such statements. I can tell you that in my experience as an individual and as a coach, because I, I, I coach this way of eating with Dr. Baker's platform at MeetRx, and I facilitate three mental health meetings there a week, attended by at least a dozen people every week, usually many more. So I've got to see a lot of people at different stages of the journey, people who've had a hard time, people, you know, for those who are considering this way of eating, in my experience, the people who are the most successful at it are the ones who take their ego and their scales and they put them in their trunk of their car where it'll do them the most good. And they just follow the directions. Yeah. But that didn't work for everybody. Some people, there's nuance involved. Some people, they, you know, they, they haven't had animal fat in such a long time. They have to go at it slowly and carefully to get their body reacclimated and all these sorts of things. But in the main, I think everybody should give it a try just to see how it works for them. Yeah. Um, and it, of course, this is the, from, from my, and I would of course assume your perspective would be the, the ultimate um, dietary choice of achieving health but of course every direction to this uh, would be beneficial and it, it can be a slow progression like there's not so much downsides to uh, non-starchy vegetables uh, as to to someone who isn't very sensitive to something like oxalates so sure. And that's, I think, the biggest hurdle for many, the because we've been taught that they're so necessary, and even more that they're way more necessary than meat, as it appears. And yeah, this, and then you can assess how you feel, and think about how you want to progress in the future. What the only downside I personally have experienced, and I haven't really gotten into this further is that when when Jordan Peterson I think has talked about the same when I've uh, reintroduced other uh, foods that uh, aren't animal based or uh, very carefully chosen uh, I've experienced severe difficulties um, way harsher than before But, but my idea would be that this kind of inflammation uh, just says that my body responds quicker to the danger. And what I had before was just a, a less state all the time. And um, it may be a good conditioning to stop eating this. So I, I wouldn't really say it's a downside. It's just an, an interesting aspect. It's a lesson that you learn, and it's it's something we see at, at, at Meet RX all the time uh, in our meetings. And what people don't understand until they've had it explained to them is when you stop consuming inflammatory nonsense, you your body loses its tolerance for it. So that if it's reintroduced, you get hit with the full force of the inflammatory nature of it. And that's how, you know, if you, uh, 
the interview that I saw Dr. Peterson originally talk about this way of eating, he mentioned that uh, he tried adding certain things back in and put him back in bed for a month. Yeah, I think it was only uh, some vinegar or something. So yeah, it was something something minor. very small and insignificant. And, and you know, that's why I tell I tell uh, members uh, at Meet RX in the meetings that I facilitate, you know, you can't overestimate the inflammatory nature of things just because it's in a tiny amount. Yeah. And when you, cause when you lose your tolerance for all that stuff, it, a little dab will knock you down. But, It'll hurt you. But of course uh, <laughs> it, that's not that bad because at least you're handling with this. It's the same with, uh, well, inflammation basically, of course, is the response to something bad and not the bad thing itself. Exactly. Uh, same with a fever or something uh, as a response to illness. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I think uh, I've, I've learned a lot from this conversation, merely about the, yeah, the, the real difference it makes. One. Uh, about half a year ago, uh, I would have named the, the person crazy that would have told me that this dietary intervention could have to do anything at all with, uh, well, from my perspective back then, anything at all that's not weight gain or weight loss. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to get access to this story in such an intimate um, manner. And I'm very thankful that you are willing to share this personal experience to help others. <laughs> I can just well, say, keep this go going. Yeah. Well, S Sebastian, I appreciate it. I have enjoyed this discussion immensely. I, uh, I really hope that we could stay in touch because I'd really like I'd really like to hear hear you at 20 and then at 25 and then at 30 because because I plan on living that long by the way. And mm -hmm. number two, because I think it's just going to be interesting to see how somebody like yourself, you're you're an intelligent, articulate young man and you're not poisoning yourself already at age at did you start at age 16 or were you 15 when you started um i started at age 16 yeah. okay okay so six good enough man good enough uh so you're going to have an incredibly interesting experience that your most of your peers will never get close to so I think it's going to be interesting to, to see, you know, to hear you talk about these things and how, what your vision of life is as a 25-year-old young man or a 30-year-old young man. Because you're going to have life experience then that you've not had now, but you're going to have it uniquely compared to your peers because you're not going to be inflamed. And of course. I hope it will not be that unique and that many others can embark on the same. We, 
Well, uh, I, I've recently read a book uh, from Peter Thiel where he talks about, uh, of course, from a business perspective, but uh, concluding uh, at the point that we are currently in an area where uh, either we, well, just basically fall apart and have an extinction or uh, a singularity and progress accelerates in such a way that we can't foresee anything in the future except it's going to be way better. And I, I, that, that there isn't much about that that's really certain. But one thing is that the key factor there is human capacity. And exactly that. People like me that will in 10 years, well, either have done so much working the whole day on trying to make the world a better place or, well, not really doing anything and suffering, doing, yeah, nothing. And that's why I, I the more you learn about this, really, the, the more amazing it becomes. And... I uh, appreciate the, the opportunity to be here right now. Well, thank you so much, Sebastian. I've enjoyed this discussion immensely. I'm very thankful that you've listened to this conversation. If you want to find out more about Brett, you can visit his social media platforms under Thankful Carnivores where he shares his personal information of how he's experienced the change he had and what advice he gives others. He also offers coaching and mental health seminars at the health coaching website meetrx.com. If you want to learn more about his music, you can look up the band I've listed in the description. Here is the track he personally sees as his favorite, also present on his upcoming album. <laughs>